You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. Thanks, Aaron. And good morning, everybody. It is a deep, deep joy and honor to be with you uh, this morning as a representative of Open Doors, but also just as a part of the community. And I've already been really blessed. And on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I think we could probably close it up right now, go home, and we would have been encouraged and blessed. But I told my employer I'd be delivering a message today, so we will continue in that. I am really grateful uh, to Aaron uh, for giving me the opportunity to share with you. I do work for Open Doors Canada, and we are one of the organizations behind the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So what's happening today is churches all across Canada are spending uh, a portion or an entirety of their Sunday service praying for the persecuted church around the world, and uh, I have the honor of being part of our process here at Restoration. Uh, among my job duties at Open Doors is going to churches, visiting them, and sharing about the work of Open Doors Canada. And so I'm particularly excited to be doing it today, not only because this is a topic that I love, uh, but that I get to be a part of it in a community that I love. You see, typically, you know, when I visit a church, uh, I'm a guest speaker. I usually do a one-off message, uh, an informational message that you know, is, is enjoyable, but uh, there's not really a relationship that builds off of that. It's something that maybe is in one ear and out the other at times, a guest speaker who you forget. So I'm excited today that as Restoration Church, I can talk about this and then hopefully be a part moving forward of a culture at this church that is focused on the global work of God's kingdom. It's also nice to be uh, in a service that is familiar. I once went to a church uh, to speak and found out that morning that their practice was to have the speaker lead the singing. <laughs> that was not communicated to Open Doors when they put in a speaker request. So it's, it's nice to be in a place that is, you know, familiar and you know what to expect. Um, so yes, a great pleasure to be with us today. Our message is going to be a little bit different than uh, it sometimes is. We've been working through a, ser- uh, a sermon series called Naval Gazing. If you're new to us at the church this morning, our sermon series is Naval Gazing. The idea has been looking out from just ourselves, to stop looking inward and to focus on our community, our country, and today our focus is expanding to a global scale. So on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, we are focusing on our brothers and sisters around the world who experience persecution because of their faith. I am curious, before I dive into the Bible this morning, how many of you have actually heard of Open Doors before? A few of you, a handful of you, many of you. How many of you heard it from someone other than me? Okay, still a few, okay, I'm happy about that. Uh, I'd like to just give a few minutes of introduction about Open Doors, our history, where we came from, and then what we do today. And then we'll be diving into the book of Acts. Uh, Let me expand the question I just gave you. Uh, If I say the words God's smuggler, does that sound familiar to anybody? A few of you as well, I see some nods. God's smuggler is the story of Andrew Vanderbilt. Uh, better known as Brother Andrew, he was a Dutch missionary from the 1950s who founded Open Doors. Brother Andrew's mission in life was to strengthen the persecuted church, and he did that by delivering Bibles. Now, in the 1950s, that looked like going behind the Iron Curtain into communist Europe. 
So at the time, uh, the USSR uh, existed. There was communism in the eastern part of the European continent. And what Brother Andrew did was he connected with churches in uh, East Germany, Romania, USSR, Yugoslavia, etc. Churches that didn't have access to their own Bibles whether for uh, legal purposes or availability, they didn't have access to the Word of God. And so what he did was he would pack up his classic Volkswagen Beetle with copies of the Bible in the given language of the country he was going to, and he would deliver them to the churches. And he would do this with the only protection being the power of prayer. That's how he became known as God's smuggler. What he would do is he would drive up to the border, the communist border where the guards were, and he would pray what we have termed at Open Doors, the smuggler's prayer, which, to my knowledge, is the only uh, piece of liturgy named after a crime. (laughs) The smuggler's prayer goes like this. Brother Andrew would drive up to the border and pray, Lord God, when you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. And today I'm asking you to make seeing eyes blind. He would make no effort to hide the Bibles he was delivering, stick them right on the seat. He would drive up, they would say, do you have anything to declare? (laughs) Nope. They would open the car, examine it, search, and every single time, Brother Andrew went through the border safely and delivered the Bibles to the church. This is a miraculous story, and uh, if you have never heard of the book God Smuggler, it's Brother Andrew's biography. I would highly recommend it as, a, as an excellent read about prayer and the Christian faith. But this expanded into the ministry of Open Doors. So this was in 1955, uh, what, 68 years later, Open Doors now works all around the world. Brother Andrew eventually developed a team of evangelists and missionaries that were delivering Bibles. And eventually, of course, communism collapsed and Eastern Europe opened up. And the vision gained more of a global scale. And today what Open Doors does is we connect with churches in the countries of the world that experience the most persecution. And we seek to strengthen them however they need. Essentially, we might connect with a church in a country, say, what do you need in order to grow and thrive despite any obstacles that you might face? That might still be delivering Bibles in their language. We might train pastors who don't have the opportunity for a seminary education. We might deliver uh, discipleship resources in their own language to strengthen the members of a church. We might provide trauma counseling to people who have endured violence because of their faith. We might give socioeconomic training for people who have lost income opportunities because of their Christianity. Pretty well anything you can think of, we try to support and strengthen the persecuted church in that way. Now, I have a question for everybody here. So a little bit of congregation participation. What do you think? When, when we go to a church in whatever country in the world and say, what do you need? What do you think is the number one answer that they say? And you can just shout out a guess. The number one thing they ask for. You got it. Last time I was at a church, they said money. Prayer. Prayer is the correct answer. Without exception, when we connect with the persecuted church, they say, we need you to be praying for us. We need the church around the world to be standing with us in prayer. So if I had to summarize Open Doors mission um, in, in a statement and the mission of Open Doors Canada, we exist to see the global church stand together in prayer with our brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith. At Open Doors Canada, we connect the Canadian church, encouraging you as a church in Canada to stand with our brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith. So our series is called Navel Gazing. We're looking out from just ourselves and towards the work that God is doing in the world. So we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 16. That's where we've been uh, looking through as a church. The book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, I mentioned this sermon is going to be a little bit different. Normally, we might 
uh, go through a passage sort of verse by verse and break it down. We're not going to be doing that quite so much today. I'm going to be sharing several more stories from the persecuted church in addition to what Aaron talked about already. I'll be sharing with you some information and some reasons to rejoice. But I do want to ground it in the Bible. So the book of Acts chapter 16, what I'll do is I'll read this story. I'm going to be drawing out a main point from it and using that as a foundation for what we're going to be talking about. So I'll read the whole passage here for context, although our main point will be more in the, uh, the second half of the passage. So this is the book of Acts, chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All the prison doors at once flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to take his own life because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're still here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. You can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come and escort us out themselves. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Then Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the believers and encouraged them, and then they left. This is the word of the Lord. So again, I read the whole passage for context, though our main point is going to be drawn from sort of the, uh, the second half of this. And this is what I would like to get across today. That despite any existing obstacles or persecution, the gospel always perseveres. Despite any oppression or persecution, the gospel always perseveres. I've chosen to title this sermon, The Perseverance of the Gospel, because we'll be talking about people around the world for whom oppression and persecution and obstacles exist, and yet through them, the gospel continues to persevere. You see, this story isn't necessarily one that you and I can relate to. It's not one that 
Uh, you know, it's one that we can maybe be encouraged by, but it's not one that hits home for us maybe. That's not the case for a lot of people around the world. For many Christians in many countries, this story rings true in a reality that you and I can't necessarily comprehend. You see, Paul and Silas in this particular passage are thrown in jail as a way to stop the preaching of the gospel. They are making a nuisance of themselves in the city by proclaiming the name of Jesus, and in doing so, they have actually cost people some money, people who are using this particular female slave as a way to make an income. Paul's exhortation in the name of Jesus puts a stop to that and lands him and Silas in prison. We don't know exactly what they were thinking. I wonder if maybe they were encouraging each other through singing and and prayers. I wonder if one of Paul and Silas was maybe feeling a little more hopeless and the other said, well, maybe we can sing together to, uh, to encourage ourselves. Or, you know, Paul endured a lot in his ministry. He was jailed more than once. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Uh, I wonder what was going on in his mind while he was in prison uh, for not the last time because of preaching the gospel. And yet, despite this attempt to stop the preaching of the gospel in the city, there's an earthquake, they're set free miraculously, and then the jailer and his whole household come to know the Lord Jesus. Despite the obstacle put put in place to prevent the preaching of the gospel, the end result is the expansion of the name of Jesus and the expansion of the kingdom of God through the further preaching of the gospel. Despite the obstacles and persecution, the gospel always, always perseveres. I would like to introduce you to a little document called the World Watch List. You should have some of these perhaps on the chair beside you or the one you were on. The World Watch List list is a document that will tell you a few of the countries in the world that could probably relate to the story of Paul and Silas. This is a ranking of the top 50 countries where Christians experience the most persecution. The World Watch List is a key document in the Ministry of Open Doors because it's a research-backed ranking of the top 50 countries with the most persecution. This is sort of the the, the foundation for a lot of our ministry in terms of informing us where we want to focus our work. It's backed up by data, by numbers. It's the product of a lot of desk research, field research. It's audited by uh, the, the the International Institute for Religious Freedom. I'll just say it. Uh, At Open Doors, we're not interested in sensationalism or promoting an agenda. We're interested in strengthening the church, and we want the work that we do to be backed up by existing numbers. So what I'm trying to say is that this is authoritative and reliable information as to the existence of religious persecution. We put out this document every year, ranking the top 50 countries where there's persecution. Today, we prayed for Nicaragua. Nicaragua is number 50 on the list. It's on the list for the first time. Every year, we see trends of growing persecution in some parts of the world and some places in the world that get better. And I'm going to be referring to this a lot because these are 50 countries where God is at work and where the gospel is persevering despite persecution and oppression. And you know, I think that that is beautiful. You see, Something that connects all of these 50 countries, 50 countries where there's extreme high levels of persecution to extreme levels of persecution, do you know what all of them have in common? The church is still there. We prayed for India this morning. Thank you, brother, for your words about India. That was just so incredible to hear. Uh, We learned that Hindutva is a movement that's growing in India, a political movement that states that to be Indian means to be Hindu. And Christians, as well as other religious minorities, are on the short end of the stick there, where they have to separate their Christian identity from Indian identity. 
The fact is, the church in India traces its roots back to the first apostles. According to tradition and legend, uh, the apostle Thomas was the first one to preach the gospel in India. The church has been there for 2,000 years. There's obstacles in the way and there's persecution, but the church is there and the church belongs there. If you look at the map that's in the world watch list, you'll see uh, all the countries highlighted that experience persecution. A lot of them are in the Middle East. You know what happened in the Middle East? The church was born. The church is still there. Despite the obstacles and despite any sort of persecution that they might endure, the gospel perseveres and the church continues. And I think we can learn from that. Take uh, the church in Afghanistan as an example. You might remember the news stories from uh, 2021 when the Taliban took over rule of Afghanistan. It's made uh, what was already a difficult situation for Christians, uh, it's made it worse. The Taliban continues to rule. And it means that to be a Christian in Afghanistan, you have to live completely in secret. And yet the church is still there. You see, when it comes to living out our faith in the world, I think we can learn from brothers and sisters in a place like Afghanistan who every morning have to wake up and say, God, I'm choosing to follow you again today, even though I know it might cost me, even though it might land them in jail like Paul and Silas. For our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, Jesus is worth that. And I'll be honest, I don't know that I would have that kind of strength or faith. Aaron already shared about how he needs to pray for the faith of someone who's a refugee from sub-Saharan Africa. My faith has never been tested like that. When it comes to saying, God, we want to give you every part of our lives, what can we learn from someone in Afghanistan or in India who is giving Jesus their life despite what it might cost? This is what it means for the gospel to persevere in our world today. So, navel-gazing. Let's begin by looking out from just ourselves and looking to the world to seeing What can we learn from people who experience persecution and suffering because of their faith? Our motto at Open Doors, uh, it was on the first slide there. I was trying to remember what was behind me there. Our slogan is strengthening Christians where faith costs the most. And, you know, right off the bat, I want to draw a hard line between the idea of strengthening the church and the idea of changing the church. And what I mean by that is that when we seek to connect with churches and say, what do you need? How can we help you to grow and thrive? We're not trying to come in and say, this is what you need. This is how you can become a better church. In other words, I might fall into the trap of thinking, wow, when the church in India or the church in Afghanistan is fully strengthened and fully free, it will look like this. Or the, the, the Canadian evangelical model of the church is what the strengthened church looks like. That's not what I'm trying to communicate today. The church in India practices Christianity in an Indian expression through culture and language and celebration. That is a beautiful thing. Same with the church in the Middle East, depending on where you are. It's a beautiful thing because the church is global. And you see, when we're part of the body of Christ, we are part of something bigger than just ourselves. Restoration Church is a beautiful community of believers that I love being a part of. The church is bigger than us. The church is bigger than Canada. It's bigger than the Western world, evangelicalism. The church is global. The church is historical. The church is ancient. Christianity is expressed in every country in the world. And when we're part of the body of Christ, we can be part of that, something bigger than just ourselves. We can be part of the work that God is doing in the world. I'd love to share a couple stories of what it looks like when the gospel perseveres, despite oppression and despite persecution. 
This is Bishop Daniel. Oh, uh, back to the slide. Thanks, Nolan. This is Bishop Daniel, uh, smiling there. He's from Iraq. Now, Iraq has had a uh, tumultuous history, to say the least, especially in the last uh, few decades. For a long time, uh, portions of Iraq were controlled by the Islamic State. In the last few years since the reign of ISIS has subsided, what's happening is people are returning. Refugees uh, who fled the, uh, the ISIS regime are coming back, rebuilding their homes. And this includes Christians. Now, Bishop Daniel's from an area called the Nineveh Plains. And the Nineveh Plains were uh, a, a community where there was uh, Christianity and where there were churches. And many of these people had to flee as refugees when ISIS took over. Bishop Daniel has come back, back to his home in Iraq. Now, he had other opportunities. I think he was offered employment positions in North America and, and other better opportunities than he might have in Iraq. But he chose to come home. And the reason he wanted to do that is because he wanted to be part of the church growing again in the Nineveh Plains. He wanted to be part of God's work in Iraq. One thing that he's doing specifically is giving opportunities to youth. He knows that many youth will be leaving Iraq because they have better education opportunities in, in the Western world, or they might have more employment opportunities elsewhere, things like that. But he says, no, what will happen if all of the Christians leave my home in Iraq? I want to be part of bringing them here and strengthening the church from the ground up in Iraq. The gospel is persevering in Iraq through people like Bishop Daniel. Open Doors partners were able to connect uh, with Daniel and with his church to help him with that vision. Uh, one thing that he's doing is providing education opportunities for young people that uh, they might not otherwise have in Iraq. So what he's doing through his church is providing uh, business training, uh, training in the trades, things that will allow the youth to come and say, okay, I can live here and I can be a light for Jesus in my home in Iraq. The church is growing, the church is coming, about, uh, coming home, and the gospel is persevering. Uh, that's Ethiopia, that bottom left picture. That's a well on a church compound in Ethiopia. And that was the vision of Pastor Eliso. Not his real name. A lot of these names I'm sharing aren't real pseudonyms. But in, uh, in the northern part of Ethiopia, where Eliso is a pastor, there's a lot of conflict. He's right on the border of Somalia. It's a volatile region at the best of times. There's a Muslim population, a Christian population. There's conflict, ethno-religious conflict. And Eliso thought, what would it look like if the church was a peacemaker in a time of conflict. How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? And he decided one way to do that would be providing clean water. So Open Doors was able to connect with Pastor Eliso and his church and dug a well, a solar-powered well, that is now providing clean water to over a 1,000 families in this part of Ethiopia. Clean water isn't a given, and when it is available, it often comes at a cost. And Eliso said, you know what, I want people to just be able to come, take the water that they need, and take it home for hygiene, for drinking, as well as for agriculture to improve their quality of life. No cost, no strings attached. You know what this has become? It's become a place of community, a place of fellowship, a place of peace. People, Christian and Muslim, can come, take the clean water that they need. There's no expectation to, you know, you have to attend a church service if you want clean water. It's no, just take what you need and let you, let you be strengthened. And this is an example of the church being a light in the darkness. And now it's a place of peace instead of violence and instead of conflict. Despite the persecution and despite the obstacles, the church continues to persevere. Those are cool stories, and I love talking about them. I also don't want to gloss over 
the devastation and the suffering that religious persecution can look like. Uh, Aaron already read a couple stories this morning about um, violence and death that exist in parts of the world. And these are all too real for many of our brothers and sisters. You know, the Bible says that when one part of the body of Christ suffers, everyone suffers with it. And when one part rejoices, we all rejoice with them. But for our brothers and sisters who experience destruction and death, homelessness, it is our responsibility as the church in Canada to stand with them. We can do that through prayer. You see, persecution, depending on the country, can take different forms. Uh, In some places, it might look like jail time. Um, In extreme cases, it can look like even, uh, even death. Um, In many more common ways, persecution might look like being excommunicated from your own family because you choose to follow Jesus instead of the preferred family religion. Some nations on earth uh, have uh, religious requirements for citizenship, and so a Christian might not be able to access citizenship rights if they choose to follow Jesus. Sometimes it might look like being cut off from one's social circle or not being able to have employment opportunities because you are following Jesus. Persecution, obstacles, and oppression, and through them, the gospel continues to persevere. But as much as we rejoice in the perseverance of the gospel, I don't want to suggest that it's not hard. You see, at at Open Doors, I hear a lot of stories about death and devastation that hurt sadness, like the ones shared this morning from the DRC and from Pakistan. And sometimes the perseverance of the gospel looks like sitting in mourning in a moment of grief with our brothers and sisters. We can still rejoice that the gospel perseveres, but it doesn't mean we can't grieve at the same time. Uh, Let me introduce you to Leah. Now, we already talked about Nigeria. Nigeria is number six on the world watch list. Of all the countries in the top 50, it happens to be the most violent. When we consider what persecution looks like around the world, we take into account a lot of different things. If the only thing we were taking into consideration was violence, Nigeria would be number one, if that makes sense. Persecution in Nigeria looks like uh, a lot of extremist activity. There's been a growing trend uh, in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, including the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Cameroon, Nigeria, and the surrounding countries, of groups like Boko Haram or the Allied Democratic Forces, uh, extremist groups that can operate, take advantage of an unstable political situation to prey on vulnerable populations, and that includes religious minorities. Leah was 14 when she was kidnapped from her school in Nigeria. She was one of a group of girls who were taken by adherents of Boko Haram and kidnapped. And a few weeks after the fact, Most of these girls were sent back to be with their families thanks to diplomatic efforts from the government, except for Leah. Rebecca Sherabu, Leah's mother, connected with some of the girls who had been freed and was able to find out what had happened. Leah was uh, openly known as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and what happened, the girls reported when they got back. Boko Haram had been loading uh, the girls onto trucks to be sent back to their families, but they stopped Leah and said, before we let you go, you need to stop following Jesus. And 14-year-old Leah said no. And Nathan and Rebecca Sherabu haven't seen their daughter since then. Leah was 14. We have confirmation at Open Doors that she's still alive. Boko Haram announced that they would be keeping her as a slave for life. And you can imagine what that entails. She's 20 now. Uh, We found out just a couple months ago that She had been forcibly married off for the second time to a Boko Haram leader. 
two forced marriages before she's 20 years old. And yet she said Jesus was worth it. And so when we talk about standing with our brothers and sisters who are suffering and mourning with them when they grieve, that looks like praying for Leah. We pray for her freedom. You know, God's done miracles before. And we pray that maybe something will happen. But we pray that somehow this young woman would be given strength and peace in her situation. And we pray for Nathan and Rebecca, who might not ever see their daughter again. On her 20th birthday, uh, Open Doors visited, uh, on Leah's 20th birthday, Open Doors visited Rebecca and Nathan to pray with them and encourage them. And Rebecca repeated her call to prayer. You know, since Leah was taken in 2018, um, Open Doors has been advocating for prayer on, behalf, on her behalf from churches all around the world. And Rebecca just repeated that. Please be praying for my daughter because that's what we need and pray for us because we need comfort. I think it can maybe be easy for us to hear stories like Leah and be like, wow, what a testimony of faith. And for Nathan and Rebecca, that's part of it. But it's, it's, there's no joy in that. They've lost their daughter. And so we pray for miracles and we pray for perseverance of the gospel through Leah and through her testimony. But the perseverance of the gospel also looks like Nathan and Rebecca still choosing to follow Jesus in that time. We sit with them in grief and we mourn with those who mourn. Excuse me. With all that being said, we also rejoice with those who rejoice. In a lot of ways, the world watch list that I've referenced, 50 countries where there's the most extreme persecution, is sad because it has stories like Leah, stories like the massacre in Pakistan a few months back and uh, the, the attack in the DRC just last month. But I would also suggest that the world watch list is a list of 50 countries where God is working in mighty ways. Does anybody know where the fastest growing church on earth is? Which country in the world has the fastest growing church? Once again, if you have a guess, you may shout it out. China's a good guess. Uh, Not the top one, but uh, nope. Afghanistan's also a good guess. It's actually Iran. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Iran is number eight on the 2023 world watch list. That's the top 10. And despite the persecution and the oppression, the gospel continues to persevere. Let me introduce you to Joseph. Joseph Shabazian is a pastor who was arrested in Iran. I mentioned before that we, you and I can't really relate to the idea of Paul and Silas being thrown in prison. Joseph can. Joseph held a house church meeting in his home, which is against the law. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison because of that. Joseph knew the risks, he knew the cost, and he decided that Jesus was worth it. Joseph is the kind of person who is, uh, through him, the gospel is persevering in the world despite the obstacles that exist and despite the persecution. He's the kind of person that you and I should be praying for, people who are counting the cost and choosing to follow Jesus despite it all. In Iran, the gospel is persevering. And so we suffer and we mourn with those who are mourning, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice because last month he was set free for no reason. We don't know why, but he was let go. And now he's with his family and his grandchildren again. 
He's not doing great. There's a lot of trauma that comes with, uh, with a situation like that. But he's back home with his family. This is an example of the gospel persevering despite the obstacles that are in place, despite the persecution and the oppression. Uh, I have a quote from Pastor Aaron, and that is, I gotta end. (laughs) The fact is, friends, if Christianity only existed in our bubble in Canada, I don't know that I would have too much interest in it. If it were just a monolithic and uniform faith, I don't know that I would find it quite as inspiring. But Christianity is practiced in every corner of the world, in every country on earth. I don't know if you've taken a look at that map of the world watch list. What's the number one country where there's the most persecution? North Korea. North Korea has been number one, I wanna say 19 of the last 20 years. It's like North Korea and everybody else when it comes to religious persecution. By far the most difficult country to live as a Christian. Any religion at all is illegal. The only worldview that's tolerated is worship of the state, the Kim family. And yet there's the church there. We have stories out of North Korea where parents can't even tell their children about Jesus for fear the child will say something to a teacher and it might cost them their life. Even owning a Bible in North Korea can mean a sentence of a lifetime in a labor camp. The story of Paul and Silas rings true for brothers and sisters in North Korea. But they're still there. The gospel continues to persevere. The church is secret. It's underground. But it's there. Will you pray for them in North Korea? You know, ultimately, I'm here from Open Doors. But more than that, I'm here to challenge us as a church to be praying to be inspired by our brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith. Uh, I would love it to give you the opportunity to uh, just take note of a few resources that we have at Open Doors that will help you uh, in your journey of prayer for the persecuted church. I'm just gonna highlight a few things and then we'll close. Um, You know what, we send out prayer points, we send out prayer requests from the persecuted church, email updates. Um, If you want, I give you permission to take your phone out and scan that code. Um, that'll give you just email updates right to your inbox. We also have uh, a phone option. That's um, the next one there. And if you... There we go. <laughs> what happened there? Um, okay, ignore the picture. Uh, but if you text the word pray to that number, every couple of weeks we'll send you a prayer request right to your phone. It's just an opportunity for you to um, take a minute and remember, oh yeah, I should be praying for my persecuted family. I've put a couple resources on your chairs. Um, I hope there's enough there. What that is, you've got a copy of the World Watch List. There's information in this document. Um, There's prayer points about every country that's persecuted in the world. There's information on how you can be praying and what persecution looks like. We do release that every year. The next one is coming out in January for 2024 with updated information. But there's 50 countries. Why not you know, once a week, maybe just learn about a new country and, and pray for it. There's a prayer calendar uh, in, your, in your little packet there. We produce those every month. Every day, you'll find a new prayer point, a new story or situation or a person from the persecuted church that you can be praying for. Just take a quick second every day and focus your mind on the work that God is doing around the world. 
I've got a copy of the Open Doors magazine. Again, the latest stories, information. And then there's a little connect card. And if you like, you can fill that out and that'll just get you everything that we produce to your uh, inbox or physical mail if you prefer that. Just put your name, hand that to me at the end of the service and I'll make sure you get on our prayer list. It'll be all the information for how you can be praying for the church. Because guys, God is working in the world. The church is growing. The gospel is persevering despite oppression. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of how God is changing the world for his glory? It's Sunday. Already today, people around the world have been gathering to worship the Lord. Some of them have been gathering in house churches. Some of them have been gathering maybe only two or three people because they can't risk any more than that. Some of them might choose to gather online because uh, being in church means being monitored. Some of them maybe can't even risk that and they maybe just take a few minutes and pray by themselves. But in all of these cases, God is there. The gospel is persevering. And so my hope is that Restoration Church can be a place where we remain informed about the persecuted church, where we're inspired by them, and where we continue to pray for the persecuted church. So let me do that now as we close. Lord God, you are the God of the nations, as we have already said today. We thank you for what you do in the world. We thank you for the advance of your kingdom. And we pray today for all of those who have faced any kind of oppression or persecution or obstacles because they've chosen to follow you. We pray for our sister Leah, who has been in captivity for so many years now and yet chooses to hold fast to your name. We pray for her parents, Nathan and Rebecca, who are grieving and sitting in their loss and yet they choose to hold to your name for people like Daniel and Eliso who are looking for ways that they can uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus in their country. Lord, would you bless them? Help them to be part of the growing church. And Lord, for us here in Canada, we pray that we would be moved to prayer, that your church would continue to grow worldwide, and Lord, grant us the opportunity to have just a small part in that. And so we ask all these things in your name. Amen.